October is here, the leaves are falling, and with me are the returning Stuart Robertson, Mark Dunderdale. How are you doing today, Stu? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Great to be here. Great to have you back. Mark, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, the last time I was with you, I was barely watching any wrestling, but three months on, I'm, I'm enjoying a lot, a lot of what's going on, so I'm in a very wrestling f- frame of mind. Especially these episodes of Mid-South that you're doing. So this is the first of three episodes of this trio's team over the next few weeks. Just so strap in and get ready for some Mid-South fun. We're going to get straight into it with Jim Ross and Joel Watts back at the desk, and Ross puts over the great card, including Dick Slater, Buzz Sawyer, plus El Casario versus Jake the Snake Roberts. Joel also talks about the Mid-South Tag Team Champions, Al Perez and Wendell Cooley. Uh, Williams and DiBiase will be here, plus the Fantastics versus Dirty Dutch Mantel and superstar Bill Dundee in a whip on a pole match. And perhaps this is where Vince Rufo, Vince Rufo? Vince Russo's cousin. Vince Russo got his idea for something else on a poll many years later in WCW. Uh, next, we've got a replay of the Wendell Cooley video. I've recapped this already. Um, but Mark, what did you think of this uh, this Cooley video? Um, was this not the Al Perez video that came first, I thought? Uh, next up, we've got a replay of the Al Perez video. I've recapped this already. But Mark, what did you think of this excellent Joe Watts creation? Yeah, there was some good stuff on it. Um it started off with him pinning Tommy Pritchard, I believe it was, with a belly-to-back suplex, and the bridge was incredible. So yes, uh, yeah. he, he looks good in a tuxedo. Um, I, li- I always like when the images match the lyrics of the song, and Joel did a bit of that here. The lyrics, I'm winning, was uh, playing over clips of referees raising Al Perez's arm in victory. So that was good. Yeah, I thought I really enjoyed this one. Stu, what did you make of this? Uh, exactly, I put exactly the same thing as Mark. I like the way that the winning, the 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 the, the winning was over the things. But I, I, yeah, I just thought it was a bit tamer actually than some of the video packages that I've seen previously. Um, um, I thought it was a bit that that suplex in the dummy was a bit a bit a bit strange. But um, <laughs> but I, I, I've always been I've always been very impressed with your guys' research. So I thought I would do some research on the music that sat behind that 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 one. So we had winning by Santana. Um, so after a little bit of research for the uh, for your, the music bus out there, it uh, was released in 1981 and reached number 17 on the US Billboard, number wow. two on the US Rock Chart, but only made a major impression in Australia where it reached number 88. So obviously not big down under. No. Um, but in terms of the video package, yeah, I thought it was it was okay, but not. I, th- I just thought it was a bit tame, if I'm being honest. Uh, tame, as in just not 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 much to it, kind of thing. Yeah, just just not. With some of the previous video packages that we see, I just yeah, I just there was just I felt there was something missing from it. So, well, we've got we've got a lot of video packages over the next couple of uh, couple of episodes, haven't we? As I've lost, I seem to have you know what I'm having technical difficulties already at the start of this night. As I've lost my I've lost my mouse cursor for the uh, here we go, and I've got it back, which is good good stuff. So yeah, what an, what an incredible podcast podcasting that was. As I now can't find my notes, and I'm going back over here. So yeah, it's just uh, this is the the sort of stuff that I have to deal with in the the world of amateur podcasting. Um, Mark, so what happens next? You tell me. Over to you. Um, match number one was Al Perez and Wendell Cooley, the champions, versus the Red Raider and Cal Styles. Fantastic. Why don't you tell me what you think about this match while I get my <laughs> notes back up on my screen? Uh, I don't um, make a lot of notes on this one. Uh, I can excuse the champs for not having matching gear because they do have matching mullets and mustaches. Um, and Jim Ross was commenting on how their teamwork is improving. Right at the moment, Al Perez did a leapfrog and Cooley was in position behind him, ready to hit a big body slam. I enjoyed uh, some of the teamwork, such as that one. 
And it ended with a Al Perez German suplex, which, as always, looked excellent. In one minute and one second, I believe, is my notes have miraculously come back to life. Um, Shu, what do you think of this uh, this open match of our heroes? Yeah, yeah, tag a bit similar to what Mark said about um, about the smooth teamwork, a uh, lovely back suplex. Um, I just felt <laughs> I don't know whether listeners will know what these are, but I thought Carl Stars was a bit like a weeble, really. He just sort of like wobbled from side to side. I'm so, not sure uh, I know what a weeble is. What's what, what's that? What's that? Well, there's that saying from? that weeble weebles wobble, but they don't fall down, and um, he just sort of like just was flopping a bit from side to side really is that a saying you know mark i think i've heard the term yeah i'm not familiar with the context but wow. yeah. Yeah. yeah i've not heard that yeah i think it's a toy we they're like weebles wobble but they don't anyway, anyway <laughs> google weebles and you'll see what it is so um but in one minute and one second it, it, there's not really much you can say on it no exactly and i feel like this is going to be, be a recurring theme it's like you get some short squash match and nothing happened mark what do you think well, I don't think anything. Stu, what do you think? Well, I think nothing <laughs> as well. Brilliant. Um, yeah, classic, classic week of Midstar TV. This is us. Next up, we've got Jake the Snake Roberts versus El Casario. Jake had a T-shirt on it that seemed to read DDT, um, and it looked like it was a splash of blood or some sort of red paint. Ross said that Skander Akbar was missing from ringside, and apparently Bill Watts told us about this last week and that the Midnight Rider had got hold of him. I did not get the memo on this one, as I have no recollection of this happening on last week's episode. Um, I was doing something else the first five minutes of this match, which makes me feel a tiny bit bad podcast professionalism-wise. That's the second thing. I can't even remember writing that in my notes, but after losing them earlier on, that's uh, it's not going well so far. Um, but after all, this is a free show, so no moaning. The finish came in 6.33 when Jake hit the DDT to a fantastic reaction from the crowd. Uh, Mark, fill in the gaps for me here. Was this any good? Um, not especially. Uh, <laughs> uh, m- most of my uh, notes on this one were about El Casario. I-, I believe somebody, possibly Phil had mentioned before, who was under the mask. Um, did yes. You know that? Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that, Stu? Who- uh, uh, I-, I didn't in this episode. Right. Um yeah, I, I probably wouldn't have guessed it was Savio Vega uh, had it not been mentioned before because he was a bit stockier when I first saw him many years later when he arrived in the WWF. And um, I've got a bit of trivia, sticking to Stu's lines on uh, adding a bit of stuff here. Uh, do either of you know uh, what the word El Casario means in English, translated from Spanish? Um, is it some? Is, is it like martial arts or something? It's not nothing to do. Uh, no, okay, great, <laughs> good guess. Um, hang on. <laughs> oh no, you, that you Google Translate. That wasn't the bit of research I did. I was just worried that you were going to steal the thunder then. <laughs> so, so no, I don't know. <laughs> uh, the literal translation is the privateer which is what they used to call pirates who were commissioned by governments to do pirate stuff. Uh, so that's Weird. where that's come from. Um, I checked the results of Jake Roberts' 1996-1997 WWF run to see if these two ever worked together again over a decade after this match and found that they, they didn't wrestle each other, but they tagged together in four consecutive house shows in March 1996 against the makeshift team of Goldust and the 123 Kid. Wow. Uh, so that's that's all uh, nothing to do with the match. But besides that... Um, all more interesting in this match, I think. <laughs> I noticed how Joel, um, Joel and Jim Ross would react differently to Jake doing heelish things now that he's a babyface. Uh, 
different to how they reacted when he was doing the same things as a heel. At one point, he tried to pull off Casario's mask and instead of chastising him for it, Jim Ross said he doesn't mind taking a shortcut because he wants to win. That's what he's in there for. And Joel added, anything it takes, Jake is going to do it. So they were sort mm. of justifying the heelish stuff now that um, he's not a heel. Shoot, anything to add on this one? Yeah, I've got a bit to add on this one because I, I feel now I'm getting into the podcast world because I'm, I'm almost up in my game to mark standards of research. So I was also looking to see if uh, Jake the Snake had any matches with Savio Vega in WWE and I couldn't find any. What I did find, though, was um, a Savio Vega save uh, from a Raw show in September 96 when Jake the Snake was getting a beatdown from The King and Steve Austin. And ah. Savio Vega ran into made the save. So there you go. A little bit of research there. Because um, Austin and Vega did some stuff in 96, I guess, was that? Or was it 97? Did. Yeah, they wrestled yeah, at WrestleMania that year. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite proud of myself now. So. Oh, yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah. Really good. <laughs> I think the more tangents, the better on this, uh, yeah. on these three episodes, um, definitely. So, in terms of the match, I thought, well, obviously, we've got six and a half minutes, which was, which was unusual over this show or over mm. recent shows. Um, I, I put first half was a bit dull because basically it was just focusing on on El Casario's sort of like claw, um, just mm. claw under his armpit for. For, for a significant period of the time. Um, but then then the second half, uh, I think it sprang into life. The crowd then really got into it. Uh, I put great knee lift from Jake, um, a great selling of the arm, a great selling of the arm injury. And I always think that Jake was always good at, at selling and 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 you know legitimately thinking he was hurt and stuff like that. So that was great. Um, brilliant clothesline, crowd went wild and then popped massively for for the DDT. So um, so yeah, probably a match of two hours, really. Very dull first half, but the last three minutes were were, were pretty decent actually. So yeah, so, and I think it was good when the crowd got into it at the end because Jake Jake yeah. is is very over on the show. Beat off it, yeah, yeah, big time. Back from break, Joel talks about the anger of Debiosi Williams and Bob Sweetan talking about Williams and Sweetan losing tag titles. We got a recap here, and afterwards we headed to the ring for Debiosi and Williams in action against Tony Fork and Pat Rose. Nice to see Williams and Debiosi in matching red trunks, and Debiosi's hair here was very wet. Um, Debiossi had his not sure if that was sweat or water maybe a mixture of the two or gel um, Debiossi had his working boots on here as usual and looked great during his in-ring moments and Williams wasn't too far behind however this was a pure squash that ended in two minutes and one second with an Oklahoma stampede off the middle rope from Steve Williams uh, Stu what do you think of this uh, tag team match here with um, Debiossi and Williams returning to television well if we just go back to what JR and Bill were saying I um I, I like the fact about like uh, there was a mention. I think Ted Bios, Ted Bios, Ted, like Ted DiBiase, and he, he needs to get a title so he can get close to Ric Flair. I quite like yes. that that, that tenure. That's thing the there. ongoing theme that you have to be North American yeah. champ to challenge yeah. for the. Even though we find out later that isn't strictly true, but anyway, yeah, carry on. Yeah, um, and, I, and I thought that DiBiase had put some serious bulk on actually from what I've seen him. Probably yeah, six, I thought he looked great six, six months ago. I thought he looked really, really good. Um, though might be Tyson Sports Proton Shakes had made their way to Mid South, perhaps. Yeah. But yeah, I put a comment here. I, I don't know if it was in the video package, but it was some of the worst chair shots I've ever seen. 
<laughs> um, um, so I'm trying to remember what that was. So yeah, that was um, the recap of the angle before the match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they weren't they weren't great. But um, all I, really all I'd put in this match is, is I can't remember the last time I'd seen DBRC wrestle in coloured trunks. Mm. Um, DBRC looked he, he looked pissed. Um, really aggressive wrestling. Um, and yeah, and, and that was it. Really, I, I, I like the aggression in that in in this match from DBRC. Um, yeah, agree. Um, but again, in two minutes, there's there's not really a massive amount you can you can say. Nope. Mark? Uh, yeah, you mentioned on last week's podcast, Steve, but sadly I'd already watched this episode and done my research before I heard that. Uh, uh, that being my decision to look into Bob Sweetan's oh, no. career before yes. and after Mid-South. Long story short, he was a scumbag and I wish I hadn't bothered. Yes. Um, the match itself, there was an early miscommunication, I noticed, between Rose and Williams and it seemed to fire Doc up a bit. Uh, I think he put a bit extra oomph into a back body drop before he tagged out. Uh, and then there was plenty of quick tags from both teams, and it was a really cool finish, which I haven't seen them do before, I don't think, where Doc stood on the middle turnbuckle. DiBiase lifted Rose up into his arms for Doc to then hit the huge Oklahoma stampede off the middle rope. So I liked it. Yeah, yeah. I really like the finish. And Next, I that bit off my my feedback as well. I put lovely Oklahoma Stampede, but I just forgot to say it. So that's all right, Stu. It's all right. Uh, next up was what Jim Ross called a special presentation from Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Gilbert was in the ring with white sunglasses, an impressive shiny black jacket with flames on it, and there was also a stand with something a cover on it, basically in black. Gilbert said he had great fans, but it was hard being a celebrity and looking like he did. And he was constantly being pestered by girls, something I, you know, I've, I've suffered with over the years as well. And they jar the telephone lines in hotels, apparently, because he was the best looking pro wrestler in the world. And this actually got some positive screams from some of the ladies in the crowd. He said people want to touch him. They want his autograph. And with the brain he has, he has come up with a solution. He asked the ladies to control themselves. He said that what he was going to reveal would make people at home want to pull the TV set closer to them and kiss the screen. He milked this a bit too long for my liking, perhaps because I was a bit excited and also slightly concerned as to what was under this sheet. <laughs> Finally, got we got the big reveal, and all it was was a picture of him standing there with his arms out and a pair of sunglasses in one of his hands. He said he went to great expense and there wasn't another one in the world. He said all people had to do to win this was write in, in 25 words or less, why they wanted the picture – Boyd said, whatever turns you on, different strokes for different <laughs> folks. And then they threw back to the desk and detailed the address. Just bizarre. What on earth was this? Mark, what did you think of this contest? Right. Uh, you talked about some of the ladies in, in the crowd. I did notice one particular lady in the front row reacted to him talking about his good looks by screaming as loud as she could. And she had both fists clenched. She was, re <laughs> she was really that much of a fan. And... I did put in my notes something else you alluded to, how long it took. After what seemed like an eternity, he unveiled the painting, yes. is what I wrote. Yeah. Uh, there was zero reaction to it from the live crowd, and it took a moment for me to realise the lack of live reaction was probably because there's no audience on the hard camera side of the ring, I don't think. So with no Titan Tran or anything in there. No, that's days, right, that's right. Basically, none yeah, of the crowd it. could see what, yeah. what the portrait was. Um, that makes then, it even worse, doesn't it? I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. What a great point. Yeah, they couldn't see the bloody thing. And Stupid. then, uh, yeah, the I, I called it a long, boring segment was saved at the last second by Bod Pierce saying, "Well, there you are, ladies. Whatever turns you on, <laughs> different strokes for different folks." And then uh, Jim and Joel read out the address for ladies to send their reason in twenty-five words or less why they should win it. 
I guess uh, guys were ineligible. It was ladies only. 25 words is not very much either, is it? I mean, I, I don't know what a, tw- a tweet used to be 140 characters if they change it, but it's not a lot, not a lot of words. Uh, Stu, what do you think of this? Um, uh, again, not, not too dissimilar to what you guys are saying. It was long. Uh, it was dull. Um, I picked up the screaming woman. Um, but apart from that, it was just, well, it was, it was a bit dull, really, to be honest with you. And um, not particularly, I don't think it particularly got him over. Um, 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 so, yeah, but I, again, I, I put, I'd love to know how many people actually wrote in and maybe we'll find out in the, uh, in the future. Yeah, maybe we'll. And I, and I want to say to the Mid-South fans back in the day listening to this, we're not meaning to be deliberately negative, but these, these episodes aren't very good. Like I said, as many episodes of Raw in 2098, you could pick one up and you get a dull or bad week, which is a bad booking. But this is, this is a time where they're introducing some characters and not much, is, other than Jake Roberts, DBS and Williams, not too much is clicking on the show at the moment. Um, next up, back from break, Jim Ross talks about Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. Very difficult for me to say that. Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. It's a lot of syllables. And how they had received a piece of video from two years ago when he's preparing to face Junkyard Dog to see who was the number one dog in wrestling. Um, th- we then went back in time to see a dog in a cage growling. Sawyer hitting some cinder blocks with a chain while talking in the background. Then we got Mad Dog sharing some meat with another dog in a cage. Then he's doing something weird with a chain around his neck, with a tree, and in a pond, there's an attack dog on a dog glove thing. Then he's crawling out of the pond with a chain around his neck. All of this was while Sawyer was saying in a creepy way things like, look into the mind of the mad dog. This was really weird. Stu, help. I don't think I can, mate, because uh, I... I yeah, I put break. Uh, the things I picked up was the breaking blocks with the chains and feeding raw meat to the dogs. Uh, um, uh, um, yeah, yeah, it was a bit bizarre. But I did do some research on Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer uh, uh, and just a, a wee interesting fact. I was again, I was looking a bit like um, where did he go from uh, from from mid south. Um, uh, and he, he went on to UWF and then um, uh, to, to world-class championship wrestling. And he formed a tag team with someone called Matt Bourne, who was the original character of Doink. And yes. uh, they won a tag team championship around 1986. But in terms of his, his career achievements, I'd say that was probably its, its, its peak, really. But <laughs> um, uh, a strange video. Um, and yeah. A strange I'll let, video. I'll, yeah. I'll let Mark take that home. Yeah, you got over to you, Mark. Uh, the the voiceover I, I only presumed was him. It, it wasn't made clear, but it did sound a lot like Paul Ellering. I thought. But, oh, um, maybe. It, oh, actually, one. I hadn't thought of that. Maybe it was him. Maybe it was Paul Ellering. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know they yeah. had any kind of uh, history or anything. It's just. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It struck me. Um, yeah, I noted the cool. I, I thought it was a very cool shot of him in that cage with the dog with a big chunk of raw meat hanging out his mouth. I like that for some reason. And then, like you, Steve, I was confused by him. He was up to his waist in water with his big chain around his neck and the other end around a tree trunk. And I had no idea what he was trying to do, whether he was trying to pull the tree trunk into the water with him. Um, It was not clear at all. And um, 
the outside the ring video packages, I, I would say, have definitely improved if that's what their 1983 efforts look like. Yeah, I doubt this was a Joelism back then. So I think I guess he probably would have been at high school then. Uh, and next up, as, as tends to be the case, we got a Buzz Sawyer match versus Broadway Joe. And Sawyer smashed Joe and won with a unique looking kind of fall away power slam off the middle rope in 39 seconds. Um, guys, anything more to add on this? Uh, I mean, it's tough what you're going to say about a 39 second match, but over to you. Uh, Stu, you go first. I thought Broadway Joe had a nice wrestling jacket. I can't remember it, but I'll take your word it. For it was a lovely gold and red ensemble. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, I, 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 all I put is, is uh, love the love the power slam off the second rope. Um, probably one of the most devastating slams that I'd seen for quite a while. So, mm. uh, so yeah, so it was all about the power, though, wasn't it, with uh, with Mad Dog? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Mark, what did you think of this? Well, Sawyer had, had left Mid-South two years earlier, so this is the first time I've had a chance to see him work. Uh, all I knew about his in-ring work previously were from some gifts that went around online showing him doing some incredible high power slams. I, I have seen them before and taking some crazy bumps through the ropes to the floor. So I was looking forward to seeing him wrestle for the first time. Um, he was pacing angrily during the introductions. He attacked uh, his opponent before the bell rang. And then power slams off the middle rope are like busties. You wait ages for one to come along, and then you get two in successive matches. Yeah. Uh, this one ended with, that, with a different variation as he spun sort of facing away from the ring into the ring. Uh, different to Dr. Death's, but no less devastating. Yes, absolutely. And back from the break, Joel talks about Mr. Unpredictable De Dick Slater. And then we got a video of the man himself to I'm Bad from ZZ Top. And um, lots of Slater driving around in what appeared to be a Porsche, along with the as yet unnamed Dark Journey. And this is interspersed with him holding an opponent in a side headlock and a few other iffy looking moves. Didn't like this. Stu, what did you make of this uh, Dick Slater video? Um, yeah, I just put it, it portrayed him as having a bit of a jet set lifestyle, didn't it? Um, uh, it was a black Porsche. Um, and again, uh, for the for, for, for music research, Claxon. So this was uh, I'm Bad on Nationwide by ZZ Top off their 1979 Diguelo album. And Diguelo wow. means in Spanish, no surrender to be given or accepted, a fight to the death. So, okay, um, wow. But I, I've got a question for you guys. Um, um, uh, and I might have missed this in previous episodes, but why is he called Mr. Unpredictable? Um, I don't really know the answer. I can't give you a properly, properly solid answer to that. I guess it's just he's... I don't know. Mark, anything more? No, I, no. no I think this is his debut, isn't it? Yeah, so we're, we're, it hasn't been itself. discussed in previous weeks. Just, no. Uh, mentioned. I mean, we'll come on to the match in a minute, but I've got some views on that. So, <laughs> Yeah, Mark, what do you think of this video? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a, a lot to say about it. Um, usually in these music videos, they show some cool spots or, or moves, but um, basically all we saw Slater doing was punches, elbows to the head and not much else. Yeah, absolutely. And as, as is customary after these sort of videos, we had Slater in action facing Richard Dunn. Uh, really odd finish here in 107 with a butterfly suplex. Have I got that right? Is it? Was it a butterfly suplex? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely no reaction, and I'm not a fan of this guy at all so far. And as I said on the podcast, I mean, it all, all merges into one, really. But I find these shows are easiest when I'm particularly invested in certain characters like Humongous, and I really like the Barbarian, he's now no more in Mid-South, um, spoiler alert, uh, and people like Wendell Cooley and Al Perez, Jake, 
Debiosian Williams. And the more of these, this sort of stuff, the more difficult it is, I find, to get get through the shows because some's not. And also, um, Ben made a really good point last week around being sort of dropped in to Mid-South around this time. There's not as many people that we know. Like there, there, There's something, you know, when you see a Shawn Michaels, someone pop up, um, you know, or, you know, Hercules back in the day and, and Smash and Demolition and various other people, that was, you know, that was, you could, you could kind of, there was that was of more interest. But these guys that were kind of territorial stars in the 80s that didn't have a big, necessarily a big WCW run or WF run, it's just like, well, you know, I don't know, not as into it. Um, Mark, anything to add on the match? Uh, I didn't have a lot. Um, around this same time, 1985, uh, Cheers was a big TV programme and I thought uh, Richard Dunn looked a lot like the character Cliff from uh, Cheers. What did that start in 1985? No, it started before then, but it was on the air until about 1990, I think. So yeah. it was big around the same time. I think um, I remember it being on when it finished, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say up to around 1990, there or thereabouts. So you'd yeah. remember that, wouldn't you? Um, my the only other um, research I did on on the the situation was about the mystery lady in the Porsche. But I don't know if you want to wait until uh, she's named on screen before we I've get already into named that. her actually. So okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's Dark Journey is her name, and I've heard a lot of good things about her career from mm. Jim Cornette interviews over the years, but never seen her before. Um, according to Wikipedia, so take that uh, as it comes, uh, Slater met her earlier in 1985 when she was a stripper in Atlanta, and this Mid-South run was her first time being a valet in wrestling. Um, and a, a biracial woman being in a relationship with a Caucasian man in those days was seen as controversial or unusual in certain parts mm. of the world, and that was enough for the, their double act to be super over as heels because it was a different time back then. Um, and then I just noted the the match ended with that double arm suplex. He did uh, a couple of jabs followed by a big punch that reminded me of Road Dog when he used to do that oh, yeah, years yeah. later. Uh, but nothing much to it besides that. Uh, Stu, have I come to you on this? Uh, no, no, no. no. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we might have to talk a little bit, Mark, before we do these because <laughs> I've done that as well. Yeah, that same notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, all I put here is... Um, I thought it was very. It was a really pedestrian match. Yeah. Um, very slow moving, big shots, perfectly executed, and obviously finished with like the double arm, the double arm suplex. But it, it just comes back to me: why is he known as Mister Unpredictable? Because there was nothing unpredictable in that match at all. Now, unless there's going to be some big bang in a few weeks' time, do you know what I mean? But um, it was just, uh, it was just pedestrian, really, and 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 for a debut, probably not not great. No, agree. Next up, no, come no, on no then. No crowd reaction. They were, they were dead to it, weren't they? No, absolutely dead. Yeah, completely all, dead. Completely dead. No Which, which actually no was probably a, probably a running theme through most of the programme, actually, yeah, the, 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 the Jake the Snake bit and, and the final match. Um, there was very little crowd investment, I think, into that in, in, into that episode. Yeah, I agree. Right, a whip on a pole match. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Um, I don't think we got a particularly good shot of the pole pre-match. When they showed it early on, it looked absolutely insanely high to the point it was touching the ceiling and the whip was right at the top. Um, Dundee and Rogers, sorry, I should say this is uh, what Bill Dundee and Dutch Mantel versus the Fantastics. So Dundee and Rogers fought around it to start off with before Rogers got on top, but was stopped from ascending by Mantel. Mantel pulled Rogers off the pole later on and seemingly... 
his special boys place fell uh, straight into the top rope, which looked brutal. And um, Joel talks about how this sort of activity made you build up quite a sweat and that could impact your ability to climb up the pole. At six minutes, Eddie Gilbert appeared out of nowhere. He climbed up the pole and got the whip. The ref called for a DQ in a pole match at 6.20. And Gilbert went after the Fantastics until our heroes turned the tide and got on top for a while before Gilbert threw powder in Fulton's eyes. Heavy, juicy shoe baby beat down thereafter until Rogers made the save of the chair. Um, I probably made that sound worse than it was. I thought this was actually reasonably good fun, um, even though the DQ annoyed me. And and the post-match angle was decent as well. So, Stu, what did you make of the first pole match in Mid-South television history? Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was okay. I mean, there wasn't <laughs> you can be negative, even though I've been relatively <laughs> positive. So, yeah. There wasn't a lot of wrestling going on, was there? It was no. just like, it was just like jumping on the turnbuckle, trying to get the pole, being pulled down, punch, jumping on the turnbuckle. I did like the odd time that they used actually their opponents to climb up onto the top turnbuckle to get the, uh, to climb up to the pole. Um, particularly impressed with Dundee. I thought he was very cat-like, uh, great balance. Um, um, yeah, um, there's not really a lot there. No, no, no. They yes. took a massive, there was a massive slam off the top road to Dundee and Mantel. I, I enjoyed that. Um, but again, um, you'd like to see it played out a little bit more before the run-ins and 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 uh, and that. But you know, for what it was, it yeah, it was it was fun, it was good fun. And um didn't feel like six minutes, it felt like a lot longer than that, if I'm being honest with you. Um, <laughs> but um, in a bad way, yeah, it was, it was uh, <laughs> Just be honest, I didn't think it much. To be honest, <laughs> Mark, to, you, you can be the crumb of positivity in. <laughs> you can be the adjudicator here. Was it was it fun or was it not? I genuinely enjoyed it. Okay, um, great, great. Early on, there was a clear sense of urgency about it. Um, all four guys were making several frantic attempts at climbing the pole. Uh, whether they were the legal man in the ring or the illegal man on the outside, they were still all uh, trying to climb up and get it. And they were climbing quickly too. It wasn't like modern day ladder matches where they suddenly climb in slow motion. Mm. Um, it was scrappy and it wasn't pretty, which I think it needed to be, knowing that it would be ending with some violent shots from a foreign object. Um, Carl Fergie, the referee, I thought he worked hard to make, to make it seem like he was trying to keep things in order throughout, but eventually it was too much and he had to call for that DQ. It made sense. Absolutely. Um, that's it. That is it for the, what are we on? October the 4th, 1985 episode. Uh, as we're going off the air, Ross talks about how they were trying to sign Williams and DiBiase versus Wendell Cooley and Al Perez, which I'm excited about. Um, I would say probably a thumbs in the middle show, thanks to the main event, but the rest of it was, um, you know, so-so. But I thought, I thought the good, the, the, the sort of fun main event slightly tipped it into kind of okay territory. Mike, what are your final thoughts on this week's episode? Well, my favourite episodes of Mid-South are the ones that have a bit of everything. Some matches, some promos and some extra stuff like uh, music videos. And this week did have a bit of everything, but Eddie Gilbert had the only real promo, which wasn't very good. Yeah. And the matches were all decidedly average, to be fair. Uh, still no idea what was going on in that Buzz Sawyer video, but I'm looking forward, as always, to seeing what comes next. Absolutely, Stu. I like Boyd's trousers. <laughs> Not, Excellent. It, was, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, Not a stellar week, was it? I think. No, so. no. Probably, probably, probably a, a three out of ten. <laughs> wow. Mean? I actually think next week's even worse. But right. 
thank you all for listening. We'll be back. Us three will be back next week. So uh, set your alarms for what is it? What what time does this come out? It comes out at seven seven a.m. Uh, British summer time. What's that? Two a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So set your alarm for two a.m. next week for some more positivity on Mid South Wrestling. Thanks very much for listening. Yeah, this is Eric Watts, and for all you phenomenal wrestling fans and fans of this podcast, please do me a favor. If you're looking at uh, more information about Mid South Sports. Power Pro Wrestling, Universal Wrestling, go to universalwrestling.com and check out that website. It's a must see.